Thank you again for your participation in praise and prayer. If you feel comfortable now, you're welcome to remove your mask as uh, now we're going to enter into a time of the preaching of the word. I want to thank all of you who are continuing to pray. I want to encourage you to every morning, make sure you are looking on our website or on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, finding the uh, prayer focus for that day, praying for an awakening every day and then prayer needs within our congregation. I also want to thank all of you who are continuing to be faithful in your giving. I want to ask God right now to bless the gifts that are being given, the, the, the financial support uh, and obedience to God's command to tithe and to give. I'm going to ask God to bless that. So let's pray together and ask God's blessing. Father, we, again, we are grateful that you hear our prayers and we are praying together as a family of faith according to your word. We're praying every day for an awakening. On Wednesdays, we're praying that we would be revived as a church. And then each day for needs that, that exist within our own church family and, and certainly within our world. Lord, as we give faithfully to you, we ask that you would bless these offerings. We are so, so grateful for your provision in our lives and we're trusting in you. And our giving is, is a way in which we show our love and our trust to you. Lord, you are at work in our church. You're at work in our world. And Lord, there are many who are hurting. This morning, we lift up the Huffman family to you in the death of David yesterday, which is such a surprise to us. We know that, that you're gonna provide for Martha, for the family. Lord, as Dr. Bill Daniel is now at hospice, we pray for Annie and their children. Pray for our family of faith as we grieve his loss and prepare for him to come home to you. We're so grateful that, that David is home with you. We are grateful that Dr. Bill one day will be home with you. And now, Lord, would you help us to understand your word? Holy Spirit, empower now my preaching of your word. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is 2020, and we've been talking about having 2020 vision, seeing what God can do. We believe that God can do great things. We believe God can take someone who is dead in their trespasses and sin and bring them to life and give them new life. They can be born again. Uh, today is June 28, 32 years ago this very day. I repented of my sin. I believed in Jesus Christ, and I was born again. God has the power. Praise be to God. Oh, what a horrible sinner that was saved that day. But God, in his grace, gave me new life. And here's what we know. We know that God can bring new life. He can, he can transform people. And we get to be a part of it here at Living Hope. We, we talk about our purpose. It's a very simple purpose. We impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. We want to join in what God is doing to, to bring renewal, new life. And so we've been talking about the things we need to be looking for, things that we need to see. And today we're going to talk about the fact that, that in this series that we need to see the need for love. I want to remind you again what love is. Absolutely, it's a feeling. But more than that, hear me. Love is a choice. It's something we decide to do. We're commanded by God to choose to love. And we've been talking about different ways that we are to love one another and how it is we love one another. Today we're going to talk about, and what we see in our text, is the command of God for us to love our church. We are to love our church. And I know that sounds easy, but it's not. Loving people who sin 
is hard to do. See, there are no perfect people. There are only sinful people who've been saved. And we who are saved by grace through faith, we are at the same time sinners and also saints. And so if you're looking for a perfect church, let me, let me just let you know right now, you're not gonna find one on this side of the resurrection, of uh, the return of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns and we're resurrected, yes, at that point, there will be a perfect church. But until that time, like all families are imperfect, so all churches are imperfect. You got to know we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people. And so there's not going to be a perfect family. No, there's not going to be a perfect church because there are no perfect people. We were in Florida a couple of weeks ago and I I was watching this father chase around his little two or three year old and she was so energetic. She was so cute. And she came up and she waved to me and smiled. And I looked at him and I said, oh, she is so cute. She is so sweet. And this exhausted dad looked at me and said, don't let the smile fool you. And, and I got his message clearly. Uh, this little girl, I'm sure, I'm sure she had she had her faults. Certainly, after being probably held inside for months, you know, with the COVID thing, and now she's outside and she's running free. Of course, she wanted to get eaten by a shark. Who wouldn't, right? And so, you know, here this little girl. She was a handful. Can I tell you something about all God's children? We're all a handful. We we, we all have hearts that are hardened that need to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we know all who have believed in Jesus Christ, all of us have been saved. We, we understand it's not because of what we have done, it's because of what we've believed. It's because we have repented. When we talk about the three circles, we understand God's design. We who are believers understand reality. We understand this world is not as it should be. I mean, we don't walk around with with rose-tinted glasses saying, oh, isn't this just great? Isn't this just a wonderful place? No, we understand. We understand this world is not what God designed. We wrecked it. We wrecked God's design with our sin. And the reason why we're born with a broken relationship with God, with a broken heart, and with a capacity for so much conflict and broken relationships with other people is because we choose sin. But God, in his love, chose to come for us. He chose us, and he chose to die for us. He has been raised. And if we will repent, and what that means, simply said, stop trusting in ourselves. Stop focusing on what we can do, and instead, believe in what Jesus has done and paying the penalty for our sin and giving us new life. We can pursue and recover God's design. Doesn't mean that we're, we're perfect. It means we have a perfect standing with God and we are being perfected into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're not perfect. No, friends, there, there, there is no perfection in us. We can, we can simply say what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. See, we're all in process. We're in the process of being made in the image of Christ. And we gotta remember that. We're living in an imperfect world with imperfect people. And so there is not gonna be a perfect church. Although Christy Crosby, a few years ago, she did send me this picture. She said she had found the perfect church. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. 
I doubt very seriously if it's made up of real people that it's a perfect church. And if it is a perfect church, let's all commit that we don't go and mess it up because I know there are no perfect people within our family of faith. We, we get it. The, the world is not as it should be. All churches have imperfect people, but we can still love each other. We're commanded to love each other. Our text helps us understand why we must love each other and, and what will happen as a church as we love each other. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's now go to John chapter 13. And let's look at this new commandment of Christ. We're in John chapter 13. I'm gonna read from verses 34 and 35. Let's all stand together now in honor of God's word. John 13, beginning in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Let's understand the context of this scripture. It's always important to understand the context of a, of a scripture. Um, Jesus was hours from dying. He was about to lay down his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Judas has already agreed to betray him. As a matter of fact, if you'll, you'll look back at verse 30, he's already left the room. Peter is about to deny him. Jesus is about to, as a matter of fact, go into to that little talk with Peter. All of the apostles will soon abandon Jesus. Only one will be there at his death, John. And in that moment, he will be given the responsibility of caring for Jesus' mother, Mary. Jesus knew things were about to fall apart fast. Jesus knew that, that there was gonna be a whole lot of guilt, a whole lot of shame, a whole lot of anger, and a whole lot of fear in just a few short hours because of what was about to happen to him. And it's in that understanding that he gives this new commandment. It's knowing what was about to happen that Jesus spoke into this reality. When people feel guilt and shame and fear, and frustrations, you know, they don't typically think the right things. They don't typically feel the right things. They don't typically say the right things and they, they rarely do the right things. See, hurting people hurt people. And I don't know if you've noticed what's going on in our world and particularly our nation right now, but people are hurting other people. And we've been doing that for a long time because we've not been thinking right and feeling right and speaking right and, and living right. We've not been doing the right things. These are confusing days. And look, I get it. It's hard to know what to do or, or even, you know, what to say. You know, if, if you wear a mask, people get mad and say, oh, you're just giving in to the government, you sheep. Bah. If you don't wear a mask, they get mad at you and say, well, I guess you don't love your neighbor, you bunch of hypocrites. You know, we live in this time about, you know, people are talking about, people are frustrated about racism. 
And, and if you say something, a lot of times people get mad and say, you don't have the credibility. You don't have the understanding. You shouldn't say anything. And then if you don't say something, they say, well, you know, your, your, your silence is consent. What do you do? Do you wear a mask? Do you not? Do you say something? Do you not say something? If, if you say you support Trump, there people get mad and say, look, you're, you're siding with white supremacists. You support Biden, people get mad and say, you're supporting a liberal socialist. If you say Black Lives Matter, there are people who say, that is an organization, you're standing against biblical family values. If you don't say Black Lives Matter, you're a racist. These are confusing days. These are hard times. Sometimes it's hard to know what to say, what to do. That's why we can be so thankful for this command. I mean, here we are, not only with all this confusion about all the sociological craziness that's going on, but I don't know if you know this, they did not cancel COVID-19. That was not canceled. That has continued on. And sadly, I looked at the statistics, we're almost at 500,000 people in the world who have died. Many more are gonna get it. Many more are getting it. We live in a country not only where there is this, this pandemic going on, but we're living at a time when the Christian faith is under attack. And, and it's not just in these communistic totalitarian nations. In the U.S., Christ, the Christian faith is becoming intolerable. And, and a part of it has to do with the fact that the sexual revolutionaries have won. The culture war has, has, has ended and Christians have lost. And so we now have this movement of this LGBTQ and, and, it's, and it's just ravishing our nation. As a matter of fact, I was trying to find a, a book for my son to read. And you know, I had to go and I had to scour to find books that didn't have the agenda. That's simply what I call it now, the LGBTQ agenda. You know how hard it is to find a television show that you can watch with your family that doesn't have the agenda? It's because the battle has been lost. Friends, this is a bad time. The world is not as it should be. To be honest with you, I'm wondering if the Lord has not turned us over. And by that I mean, go back and read Romans 1, 24 through 32. That's my meaning. I'm wondering, three strikes, are we out? From 1619 to 1865, we, we allowed people to be treated as animals. People of color were sold and, and mistreated. And even after 1865, there, there was continued racism. In 1973, Roe versus Wade legalized abortion. Do you realize tens of millions of voiceless babies have been killed in our country legally? It's celebrated. In 2015, with the Obergefell decision, same-sex marriage became legal. We are now Sodom and Gomorrah. Slavery, killing babies, sodomy. Is that strike three? I don't know. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the world we live in, regardless of all the pain and all the confusion, we have a true north in Jesus Christ. 
We have a God who is here. He is with us. He is among us. He has come to save us. And he has commanded us what to do. When you don't know what else to do, and that's often, when you don't know what else to say, and that may feel oftentimes like what's, what, what you're facing, love. Love one another. Jesus said, I give you this new commandment that you love one another. This command would have been a great help to those those poor disciples hours after Christ died. I mean, you think about John feeling the responsibility of Mary having watched his master suffer and die. You think about poor Peter. Jesus told him what was gonna happen. He said, no way. And he denies, and we read in the Gospel of Mark when the, when the ladies uh, were told to go and get the disciples. If you'll remember, the, the angel said, tell the disciples and Peter. Because they knew, heaven knew, he felt so guilty, so ashamed. And then the 11 who all abandoned him, who ran away. And all of this confusion, I'm sure there was finger pointing. I'm sure there were those who wanted to just go and hide and run away and and didn't want to, to, to be a part. They didn't feel like they deserved to be a part. And all of that, Jesus said, love one another. And all the craziness and all the confusion love one another. And so now for two millennia, the church has survived. We've made it through plagues. We've made it through social injustice. We've made it through overturning of governments. We've made it through all kinds of things because of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit to the praise of the Father for his eternal purpose that will not stop. It cannot be stopped. God cannot be stopped. And because of him, we can, we can do this. We can love. What the disciples needed then is what we need today. The love of Jesus. We need to hear this command with fresh ears and obey Jesus. We are to love one another, living hope. We're to love our local church, realizing that the church is not a building, it's people. Realizing that the people are not perfect, We are to love one another in our covenant relationship with Jesus and the covenant relationship we made with one another in membership. Our text today shows us how and why. Our text today shows what our lives look like when we as disciples love our church. So take note of these three things. First this, disciples who love their church will live under Jesus's authority. Notice the wording here, a new commandment I give you. It's a command, it's not a request, it's not a suggestion. Jesus said, I'm giving it to you. He says, I, because he's claiming their authority. He's saying, I'm responsible for you, you are responsible to me. You are to do what I say, I give you this commandment. Understand, to disobey this commandment is to obey another. We all live under the authority of something or someone. Either we are under the authority of Jesus or we're not. Who has authority in your life to determine ultimately what you do? What is your ultimate source of truth? What is your ultimate source of identity? Where do, you, where do you draw lines? And who tells you where to put 
those lines. Please understand, if you're not under the authority of Jesus Christ, you're under the authority of something or someone that is very worldly. And the Bible tells us plainly in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If we are not under the authority of Jesus, we are under worldly authority. Worldly authority commands us to live for the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the, of, of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all of those things are passing away. The desires of the flesh are passing away. The desires of the eyes are, are passing away. The, the pride of, of human existence and power and ingenuity, it's all gonna pass away. God calls us to something better. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The will of God is that we obey his new commandment, that we love as he has loved us. Now, Jesus warned us. Jesus gave a very stark, very real, very sobering warning that there would be some who claimed him, but who are not his. This should be a terrifying thought to many church-going people. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I mean, think about that resume. Jesus, didn't we, didn't we gather? Didn't we, didn't we say the right things? Didn't we do good things? Weren't all these things, weren't these moral? Weren't these right? Weren't these good? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those who do not obey the command of God are lawless. Those who do not submit their lives to the authority of Jesus Christ submit their lives to the authority of the world. And that worldliness causes a desire that is contrary to the will and the work of God. And there are many who are confused. There are many who are honestly going to enter into judgment, presume, presuming that they are right with God, they're going to be shocked at judgment. They're going to be shocked that they are condemned to hell. They're going to be utterly surprised. You say, how can I know that I, I am in right? How can Jesus made it clear that if we obey his commands because we love him, 
because we've repented of our old life under our authority, and we've believed that Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but has been raised and alive, and we can now follow him, and we can now worship him, and we can obey his new commandment that we love one another. There are many who claim to love the Lord, but not the church. That's contrary to the will of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There are many who have left the church, but who claim Jesus Christ. And that is incongruent with scripture. To love Jesus is to love his bride. It's to be a part of his family. And there are those who say, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm there, you know, when I can. It's, you know, has it ever, have you ever thought about why it was so many in our society said that church during the time of COVID was so unnecessary? Well, because so many in the church had proven in their own lives that they believed it was unnecessary. Because as one local pastor told me recently, we, no long, we stopped taking role week to week and now we do it month to month because we understand our people are gonna show up maybe once a month. Friends, that's not how we read the scriptures. The Bible tells us that we are to gather as his people. Now, I understand that there are some, and I've said this, some of you do not need to gather. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I also understand there's a group of people who just don't want to. The excuse that I'm hearing a lot is they don't wanna wear a mask. I just wanna say to those of you who believe that you can opt out of gathering with the church because of your inconvenience, if you die today, and you stand before the Lamb of God who was slain, and you see the martyrs by the millions who were killed for the faith, I don't think you're gonna wanna mention the whole mask thing. I think you're just gonna say, that was wrong, I was selfish. And you know what would be real smart to do right now? Is just go ahead and say that. You know, if someone says, well, it'd be a real sacrifice for me to come to church if I have to wear a mask. Praise God. Philippians 1.29 says, for it has been granted you on behalf of Christ not only believe in him, but to suffer for him. What a great testimony. You know, in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, David said, I will not bring anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. So if this is costly for you, if this is difficult for you, then more praise to the Father and one more great reminder that it's not about you and me, it's about Him. It's about what we do for Him. It's about His glory. It's about His wonder. John three thirty six says this, and I want you to see the connection here. It's so important. I'm gonna put it on the screen. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Two words that you need to see that are parallel there, believes and obey. Belief and obedience are parallel in their terminology and in their application. To, to, 
To believe is to obey. First John 5, beginning of verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Guys, I've said it to you like this before for a number of years. Those who know Jesus love Jesus. And those who love Jesus obey Jesus. If you do not obey Jesus, it's because you don't love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, it's because you don't know him. Because to know him as God exalted become one of us to save us is to love him. To appreciate his sacrifice, to appreciate and be in awe of his power and to know Christ and him crucified and raised and returning is to love him and to be in awe of him. And in awe of him, we, we obey him. His new commandment is to love. We are not obeying Jesus' command. If we're not doing it, then we're not under his authority. And I get it. You know, you got to be careful because the whole, you know, so many, oh yeah, we need, all we need is love. Jesus isn't talking about worldly love. He's talking about his love. His love is a familial love. So take note, disciples who love their church will, will live as Jesus' family. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus has loved us as family. You know, once uh, Jesus was told when he was preaching that his mom and his brothers had come to get him. And look what Jesus said in Luke 8, 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What's he saying? He's saying his family are those who obey his command, who trust him and who love him. And look, families are messy because none are perfect. You know, it's easy to love people who do everything we want them to do, when we want them to do it, how we want them to do it. But if we're going to love people the way Jesus has loved us, it's going to require some stuff. First of all, it's going to require sacrifice. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Look, you're not always going to want to serve the needs of others. You're not going to always want to open your life to others. There's times when you want to, you just want to shell up. I don't know about you. There's times I just, in my pain and my fear, I just want to kind of cover up and just tell everybody I'm fine, you know, and just keep everybody out there. That's not loving. You got to let people in. And you got, you got to get involved with other people. And that means that you're going to have to get involved with their stuff. And that's sacrifice. As members of a family of faith, we are to love one another, to sacrifice for one another, to be involved in one another's lives, and to do that with grace and truth. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. Look what he's full of, grace and truth. If you look, the, the, the W there of word is capitalized. That's the Greek word logos. It's ultimate reality. And what the scripture says here is ultimate reality. God himself has become one of us and has dwelt with us. And this ultimate reality, Jesus Christ, is full of grace and truth. What is grace? It's getting what is not deserved at the expense of another. What is truth? It is unchanged and unchanging fact. This is how God loved us. He, he brought truth and grace. Understand truth without grace is a weapon. Grace without truth is a license. 
And many times people want truth to beat themselves up or to beat up other people. Sometimes they want just grace to give themselves and other people permission to live any way they want. That's not the will of God. That's not the way of God. God's way is that we love one another with grace and truth and that that means oftentimes we have to give people what it is they would say they don't really want. I love what Natasha Crane said. Godly love is wanting for others what God wants for them even when that's not what they want for themselves. See, what we do is we love with grace and truth. We tell the truth, but we come with grace. And we do it not because it's about us, but it's for God's glory. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. We are to love each other because it glorifies God. You know, when someone able, is able to do something that's seemingly impossible, it's a miracle. And a miracle always brings glory to God. You know, one of my favorite movies in, in the whole world is the movie Miracle. It's a movie about the 1980s U.S. Uh, hockey team that ultimately defeated uh, the Russians and then went on to win the gold medal. And where the movie gets its name is, is just with seconds as the game is counting down, the, the U.S. has beat Russia. Al Michaels, you know, yells out, do you believe in miracles? And so that's where they got the name and the whole idea. Now, U.S. hockey beating Russians, is that a miracle? I don't know. Let me tell you a miracle I do know. I know this for a fact. When broken, sinful people are healed and able to love others as Jesus has loved us, that's a miracle. When sinful, broken people are made whole by the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ through his paying for our sin and giving us new life so that we love others with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. And that miracle points to Jesus and brings him glory. And that, that leads us to this, this last point. Disciples who love their church will live for Jesus's glory. By this, all people will know you are, look at this, my disciples. It's not about us, it's about him. It's about being his. If you have love for one another, our obedience to love is not about us and our love, but about the person we love, Jesus Christ. And because we love him, we obey him. We join him in what he's doing and we point to his glory. I want you to understand something. It's, we're gonna need to turn a corner right now as a church. Our king, our shepherd is calling us and he's whistling us up. Right now, friends, we gotta, we gotta get our heads up, we gotta get our eyes up. For the last three going on four months, we've, we've, we've been with our heads down just trying to sustain and survive. During that time, we've learned some important things. We've learned to social distance. We've learned to wear masks. We learned that our mom was right. We needed to wash our hands, right? 
We learn some things. Well, now that we know these things, now we gotta go. Three words that you're gonna hear a lot over the next two months, and I need you to heed them very carefully or you're going to get left behind. And I don't mean that in the Tim LaHaye way, I mean it in the Psalm 23 way. First word is engage. For the glory of God, every member must engage in what God is calling us to do. And the two fundamental ways that that we need to be engaging with one another is worship and groups. Now, we have done everything that we know as of right now to make this possible. If there are suggestions, we wanna hear about them because not only must we engage, the second word is adapt. We've got to engage and we've got to adapt. We're not gonna go back to the way things were before COVID-19. It's not going to happen. Everyone in this room, everyone listening right now, you who are at home, we have all created new normals. Take six, week to form a, six weeks to form a habit. We've gotten in new habits. And so now we're gonna have to rethink what does it look like to be the church? So we've got to, first of all, we've gotta engage. And then we've gotta adapt. What does it look like to worship? Well, for us, it looks like this. And in the chapel, you know, we found out that our senior adults didn't feel comfortable coming. So you know what we did? We created a senior adult only service so that they would feel safe. We will do what we've got to do to enable the church to engage. As we engage, we've gotta adapt. Our middle school and high school ministers have been, pastors have been reaching out to families and students basically saying, let's get together, let's get together. Some of you are not engaging. If you can't, just say it, I can't. But as you say that, understand there needs to be a conversation. What can you do? What can engagement look like for you and your family? You're soon, those of you who have children, school-aged children, elementary-aged children, you're about to start hearing from Marianne and the leadership. You gotta engage. We've gotta adapt. Here's the plan. We're gonna start doing Bible classes in people's front yards. We're gonna do it with social distancing. We're gonna do it with our curriculum. We're gonna, it's gonna be fun, but it's gonna be different. We've got to adapt to our new reality. What if that doesn't work? We're gonna have to do something else. We don't know what this is gonna look like. Every day the numbers are getting worse. We don't know if the death toll goes up at the hospitals. We don't know, but here's what we gotta do. We've got to engage. We've got to adapt. And the last word is we've got to advance. We've got to advance together. I I cannot say this any more clearly than this right now. God is calling living hope forward. If you're gonna stay on the sidelines, I want you to know, He is now moving us forward. And if you don't engage and adapt and advance with us, you're going to be left behind. You're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna say, where did everybody go? What's everybody doing? What's this? If you don't come along right now, you're going to miss it. Now, here's what I know. Some of you, you're not saved. You don't know Jesus. And so none of this makes sense. This is just a sociological exercise. And I need you to understand, unless you repent and believe the gospel, you have no hope. 
Some of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, you need to be real honest about where you are in your faith. And you gotta start dealing with what's the authority of your life. Doesn't mean you'd be foolish. It means you've gotta be wise. You gotta be wise as a servant and innocent as a dove, but you've got to engage. You've got to adapt. We've got to advance. What does that look like for you? Only you know. And we've got to fulfill the will of God. We've got to make disciples. We've got to love one another. We've got to be a part of what God's doing in the world. What does that look like? Together, we're going to figure that out. As we do, something wonderful is going to happen. We're going to start shining real bright. And I'm going to pick up from here next week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 Jesus said this about us. You are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. As we love each other, as we engage, as we adapt, as we advance, the light of Christ is gonna shine bright. And it's gonna enable us to be who God's called us to be in this moment today. Before we go, let's bow our heads. I wanna encourage you to do something. If you would, if, if you could be honest with yourself, uh, ask this question, am I saved? Can you honestly say, I have repented of my sin and I believe, I, I can tell you when I believed in Jesus Christ, today's my spiritual birthday, when's yours? Maybe today needs to be your spiritual birthday. If, if you would like that, Here's what I would invite you to do right now. Pray right now to God the Father. Say, Father, I've sinned. I believe Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Forgive me. I believe I will follow you forever. And now thank him if you prayed that because he has forgiven you and you have been saved. Those of you who are disciples of Jesus, ask God to make you aware of how you're being disobedient to him. Ask him to help you make him your authority, his word, your truth. Now recommit yourself to follow him. Father, we thank you that you hear us and we thank you that you have a plan and we thank you that you're at work and we can now engage and adapt and advance. Guide us, Lord God. Bless those who've been saved today. Bless those who have recommitted their, themselves to you and use them for your glory. We trust you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.